0: the Woodside Church Podcast. i just going to pray for Devs this morning. She's one of the most amazing women of God in this church. Know. We want to say thank you so much for all that you do, Devs. One well, of the most things, sometimes you feel like you're behind the desk, planning everything, but actually you are at the forefront of what God is doing in your life. Just, just want to pray for him. Yeah. Thank you so much for Devs, Lord. Thank you so much for her gifts this morning, Lord. May you anoint her, Lord Jesus, this morning with your own Lord. Father, I pray for each and every word that will come from him, may you come from you, Lord Jesus Christ. Give a boldness this morning, Lord. Give a courage this morning, Lord, as you bring your word to us, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Bless the Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you. Morning, all. It is uh, Pentecost Sunday. I don't know if you picked up on that this morning. Um, it's a great morning. It's Uh, Pentecost Sunday, for anyone who doesn't know, it's a morning where we remember the moment where after Christ ascended into heaven, he sent his spirit to be with us. And in uh, Acts chapter 2, we read about this moment and the Bible says that the disciples were gathered together in a room when suddenly a sound like violent rushing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like fire that separated and rested onto each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them to do so. And they were so emboldened and equipped by this that they then spilled out of the room that they were in and they went out into the street and they proclaimed the gospel. The good news that for them had just happened, that Jesus has died, he has been resurrected and he stands in place of us before God and we are now saved through him. And that day, 3,000 people were added to the church they believed they were baptized and they were added and that is the catalyst moment that spread the gospel across the globe that is the moment that birthed this church like this is an incredible moment for us to be able to stop and remember and actually as the disciples and as the Jewish people on that day they were gathering to remember as well Pentecost in the Jewish calendar it's can be called the Feast of Weeks. It was a moment where, as part of that, they would gather together and remember the moment that the old covenant had been established, where Moses had brought the law from Sinai to the people, um, and they would, you know, recommit themselves to the keeping of the covenant. And this morning we're going to look at that same moment, that deliverance of the covenant, and what lessons we get to take from it. It's part of a series we're doing at the moment called "Lessons from the Wilderness." These are all talks that we are looking at for what God was teaching, not just the people of Israel, but what he's teaching us from the time that the Israelites spent wandering in the wilderness. And today we are picking up at Exodus 24, so feel free to read along, but it will be on the screen and hopefully it will be the same version that I wrote down. (laughs) But we'll find out. Okay, so from verse 1. Then he said to Moses... Go up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Aaron, sorry, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of Israel's elders, and bow in worship at a distance. Moses alone is to approach the Lord, but the others are not to approach, and the people are not to go up with him. Moses came and told the people all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances, and then all the people responded with a single voice. We will do everything that the Lord has commanded. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the next morning and set up an altar and 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel at the base of the mountain. Then he sent out young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and set it in basins, and the other half of the blood he splattered onto the altar... He then took the covenant scroll and read it aloud to the people and they responded, We will do and obey all that the Lord has commanded. Moses took the blood and he splattered it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. When Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of Israel's elders and they saw the God of Israel... Beneath his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as, a clear, as clear as the sky itself. And God did not harm the Israelite nobles. They saw him and they ate and drank. I'm just going to pause there for half a second, just because that is such an image. They sat at the feet of God. Above them is like a sapphire ceiling, if you will, and it is the footstool for God. And they sat and they ate with God. And I, It strikes me as an incredible thing to sit and eat a meal with this ceiling there and God there. I I just, it really hits my heart, but you know what's glorious and we'll get to it is that we get to sit and eat a meal with God right here today as well. Every day we get to have him amongst us and they, they just sat at his footstool and only, you know, the elders and the nobles, not even all the people, but each one of us gets that invitation to God's table. Sorry, so back to the verse, uh, we're at 12. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay there so that I may give you the stone tablets of the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua and went up the mountain of God. He told the elders, wait here for us until you, we return to you. Aaron and her are here with you. Whoever has a dispute should go to them. When Moses went up the mountain, the cloud covered it the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai and a cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses from the cloud. The appearance of the Lord's glory to the Israelites was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Moses entered the cloud as he went up the mountain and he remained on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. So God's presence... Like a cloud, and his glory like fire settling on top of the mountain. It's the same imagery, it's the same way that the Spirit appeared at Pentecost. That is on purpose. God doesn't do these things by mistake. He was at Pentecost establishing something new that is born out of this moment. So, we're going to be looking today at the old covenant and what it means for us in light of a new covenant that we live under. We uh, really recently, my family and I, we went away for a weekend and down to Dorset to the Jurassic coast. And we were on the beach and I'm just going to throw my youngest daughter under the bus a bit here, but she's a thief guys, a common thief. The girl will steal a stone no matter where we are. She will come home with pockets full of stones, often from my own driveway. highly frustrating so we're on this beach and we can see her squirrelling just squirrelling little stones away I mean she's five so there's some grace but um, Richard my husband he's from Devon originally so he was trying to explain to the girls you know actually you're not allowed to steal from the beach this isn't okay there are laws that say you can't take away the sand and the stones from the beach at which point my eldest who is a very law-abiding little girl Got quite concerned because a huge part of her excitement for coming to the Jurassic Coast had been that we were going to go fossil hunting. Yeah. So she's thinking, but I wanted to take a fossil home. So Rich explains to her, and I don't know if you guys know this, but there is an allowance made within that law for fossils that actually they want you to take them home because they want you to preserve them. If you found like a dinosaur bone, you should report that. Like that's a slightly different situation. But with a fossil, they want you to collect them, take them home, protect them so they don't get damaged. So She was relieved to know that she'd be able to save some fossils. And I will share with you that we did very successfully get two fossils from a lovely gift shop just off the coast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We did not have a successful hunt. But um, this is it, though. Like Everything that we do in our lives, there are rules about how we have relationships, actually. We live lives where there are... um, social rules for how we interact with one another when we're on the street or when we're in community. There are legal rules for how my relationship with my husband is established or my relationship with my children. And there are even rules and laws about our relationship with the nature that we're in, how we relate to the environment. And that's what's happening here in Exodus 24. God has delivered to Moses and asked him to take to the people a set of rules, by which he will be in relationship with them. He is establishing for them the guidelines of that relationship. It's a covenant ceremony that is taking place in these verses. God has made a deal with his people and he has said, I will be your God. And you will be my people. And in the chapters that have preceded this one, he has said, but this is how that works. And part of this ceremony has been dividing up an animal and it's, interesting we can read they burnt half the animal on this altar as a sacrifice and then we can move away and it's important to understand what that was half the animal was given to god in that sacrifice not a scrap of it could be left for man or beast it had to be god's offering that was burnt so that it went to god and then the other half was shared by the people at that feast we are In that moment, entering into a covenant, God is one party and the people of Israel were the other party. That's what that moment meant for them. Cautious of time because I did not set my timer off. So if you start to get bored, just shout. Um, (laughs) So Moses then, he goes down to the people and he says, this is everything that the Lord has said. Do you agree? And the people say, yes. Yes, we will abide by all that the Lord has commanded. And they use the word all. They understand that to keep any of the law, they must keep all of the law. That is how this works. Now... God has made provision for them. He knows that that is not actually an achievable feat for these people. So within the law itself, he has made provision for a way in which they can atone for their sins, sacrifices that can be made, different animals in different ways at different times, so that each time they fail to keep the covenant agreement, they are able to come before God with an offering and start afresh with him. God is asking his people to obey a set of laws which are his guidelines for living well as a community of God's people and in return he will bless them and use them to represent him in the rest of humanity. God's goal is that through creating this covenant community with the Israelites, with his chosen people, he will one day enter back into relationship with all people. And so over the generations that followed, the Israelites, each generation recommitting themselves to this covenant, attempt to live often at varying levels of success, quite poorly at times. Um, they attempt to live by this covenant right up until Christ comes. And God knew that this was only ever a placeholder. And Moses knew it. This was only ever a placeholder. It would never do. The offerings that they brought would deal with the sin they had committed up until that point, but never beyond that point. It was a temporary measure for managing sin. You see, the law of the old covenant only made people right with God for the duration that they were able to keep it. And so the prophet Jeremiah foretold of the coming of a new covenant. In Jeremiah 31, we read, "'Look, the days are coming,' This is the Lord's declaration when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with our ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke even though I am their master. The Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And then came Jesus. And through his perfect life, through his death and his resurrection, he is the fulfillment of the law. And he replaces the old covenant with a new one that is born of himself. Jesus is the only faithful covenant partner for God and we are able to stand inside that with him he is the new covenant yeah. Yeah. we look at how we have a better covenant today where well, the old covenant hung heavy around the necks of the israelites this new covenant has an easy yoke the old covenant was about our work our striving for goodness our success or failure most often failure but the new covenant is about christ it is about his work, his goodness, his blood, his grace, his spirit. And we see in Exodus 24 that the old covenant had Moses as a high priest. He was the go-between, between the people and God. And he was the only one allowed to the top of the mountain. And he was the one that delivered it to the people. But under the new covenant, we have Jesus, God himself, to act as our high priest. Hebrews uh, chapter 3 I'm going to read you from verse 1 to 3 it says Therefore holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling as all of us here consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession he was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was in all God's household for Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses just as a builder has more honour than the house Jesus is greater than Moses. I don't know that's a surprise to many of us here, but it it would have been for some of the Jewish people at that time a real shock to hear that we are claiming Jesus as greater than Moses. He is the fulfillment of the blueprint that Moses laid out. Under the old covenant, the law had condemned. It was a burden and the consequences for disobedience to the law were severe. You see a pattern through the Old Testament. Disobedience leads to death. Obedience leads to blessing. And that was a line that had to be walked by the people. But under the new covenant, under the love of Christ, we read that the law is now written on our hearts. It is something that we are drawn toward, that we love and that we find grace within. The law no longer condemns us. Instead, it equips us, it protects us, and it guides us. Under the Old Covenant, they had sacrifices. We read about the blood offerings that were performed time and time again to bring people right with God. And these were done with animals, and they said different ones depending on different circumstances, but always these were a temporary solution. A sacrifice dealt with sin up until that moment, and there it ended. So for every new sin, a new sacrifice. But under the new covenant, the animal that is broken and offered to God in place of us is Jesus. The blood that was splattered on the altar and the blood that covers the people is Jesus's blood. And can I just recommend to you, if you haven't heard it, Luke Clements did a preach in our Easter series on what it means to be people that stand under that covering of the blood of Christ. And I'd love to go into it more but we will run out of time and you can just watch that preach, it's fantastic. You'll find it where you find all our preachers, just go to the website. (laughs) Um, But yes, Uh, in verse 8 of Exodus 24 we read that Moses took the blood, he splattered it on the people and he said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. And we fast forward and we find Jesus at the Last Supper the first communion saying to his disciples this is my blood shed for you the blood of the new covenant it has replaced the old covenant hopefully you can see that we walk under the protection and under the grace and forgiveness of his blood amen they had a temporary animal sacrifice we have and eternal salvation through Christ. So you can see these elements of the covenant, they were fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Unlike Moses, Christ was not just the mediator of our covenant with God. He is the perfect covenant partner. He is the sacrifice that secured it on our behalf. The new covenant then is one of grace. Where Christ has done the salvation work for us, and now he freely invites us into relationship with him. And there are just two, hopefully short, lessons that I want to take out from all of this for you to take home with you today. And the first of those is I want you to know what it means to have the law written on your hearts. Whilst we are no longer condemned by law, we don't do away with the law. All too often, we can separate the God of the Old Testament from the God of the New Testament. We can think over here we have this Old Testament God and he is uh, vengeful and angry. He's the God of destruction and fire. And over here we have this nice New Testament God and he is Jesus and he is kind and grace and love. And, And we get to be with this God and we don't worry too much about this God. But we know that's not truth. We have one unchanging God. The Bible is very clear about that. And actually... In the stories we've been reading, it's the God of grace who rescued the Israelites from Egypt. Yes. He brought them out of Egypt and then he took them and established the law with them in order to have relationship with them. He loved his people, was jealous for them, hated sin and loved righteousness. And it's the same God that whilst we were sinners rescued us out of our sin. That he died on a cross for us and sent his spirit to be with us to establish relationship with us. A God who is jealous for his people, hates sin and loves righteousness. And he has provided us with the law, as he provided them with the law, so that we can live lives that are honouring to him. Lives that will bless us, that will serve us as a community of people and that will bless the world outside of us. He knows what is best for us and he knows that we, how best we can represent him. In Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, Jesus himself is very clear that he did not come to do away with the law. He says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And in Romans chapter six, 15 to 18, Paul addresses the same question from the church by saying, what then? Should we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin, leading to death, or obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. You see, once we were aligned towards sin, it was the thing that our hearts pulled us toward. But by the transforming power of the Spirit and the new covenant, we are now aligned towards righteousness. It is something that we eagerly pursue. A friend of mine talks about this in terms of parenting. She calls it high boundaries, high empathy. And we in the church often refer to holding grace and truth in tension. And this is where we live, where God has high empathy. He has Such patience, such love, such grace. But he also has high standards for us. And we shouldn't shy away from running towards those high standards of living. But know that this is an ongoing process. It was clear in the verses I just read that until the final victory is won, until death is done away with, until Christ comes again, this will not be complete. And there is grace in that for us. We are in a process of holiness. It's a bit like a surprise third act in the play, isn't it? When you think you've had the Old Testament, the New Testament, with the New Covenant, and I say, oh, but there's some more to come. We have a process we are in. We are in the end times. We haven't reached that final moment yet. There is grace for the times that we too fail to meet the standards set before us saying this there are some laws that clearly no longer apply and we don't have time to run through all of the laws in the old testament one by one but simply to say it's clear that the need for some of these laws has been removed by the fulfillment of the old covenant so ceremonial laws such as sacrifice uh, cleanliness laws food laws they're simply no longer needed they have been the need for them has been met in christ however we do inherit the moral laws such as the ten Commandments. And some of those laws Jesus even took further in his teaching. One of the differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is the law and law keeping isn't about exact measures or exact processes and procedures, but it's about heart intent as well. God is looking at the heart. Yeah. Yeah. We should have our hearts set on honoring God. Where once the law was an external ball and chain, now the law, for it to be written on your heart, it is a compass that lives inside you, that directs you towards holiness. Do you treasure the law? One of the things that the law also does is that it shows us how utterly helpless we are to keep it. Without the forgiveness from the cross, without a transformational new life in Christ where his word is written on our hearts, and without the power of the Holy Spirit, we are helpless. And this leads us to my second lesson for this morning. We are empowered by the Spirit. As we know, and we've already touched on this, after Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent his Spirit to be with us. His Holy Spirit empowers us individually to follow the law. So along with being given a new covenant, you have also been promised the power of God to live within that covenant. God hasn't just handed down a book of rules. He said, let me bring you into relationship and let me strengthen you to live within that relationship. Ezekiel 36 verses 26 and 27 say, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So just as Moses went up Mount Sinai and brought down the law to enable God to be in relationship with his people, so Jesus ascended up to heaven, having fulfilled the covenant and sent down his spirit so that we can be in direct relationship with him. It is only by the power of the Spirit that we are able to know and follow God's will. But there is also a corporate purpose for the outpouring of the Spirit. For those disciples at Pentecost, it empowered them to be witnesses to Jesus' resurrection and to preach boldly the gospel It enables us as the church to demonstrate that the church is now the temple of God, where once the presence of God had rested on a mountain and then in an ark. Now we take the new covenant and the presence of God with us everywhere we go. Every area of our life should be affected by living in a new covenant with God and bringing his spirit with us. And to do this, we need to be filled with the spirit. And when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, sometimes we can imagine, I think it's quite a classic thing of filling. You imagine an empty vessel. You imagine a cup or a bowl and you're pouring liquid in. And I think it is more helpful to imagine a sail on a boat. That there is already, once you have once you've entered into relationship with Christ, Christ has entered into relationship with you, the Spirit is there. What we're looking for is this wind. We're asking God to bring that wind of Pentecost and breathe it into that sail again. Because there's already air in that sail, it's just not really necessarily going anywhere. But when that wind of God comes and we say, fill me with the spirit, God, the power and the direction is set by God and we are moved forward. We want God to breathe that wind that came in the upper room, the cloud that fell on the mountain. We want it in our lives so that we are equipped and empowered by him. Let's be people who go on being filled with the Spirit. Let's daily seek God for his will, his law, his way of living. And let's daily seek him for his equipping and empowering by his Spirit. And then the joy of the Lord will overflow from this room. And we will see those in our lives, in our communities, come to Christ as the disciples at Pentecost saw people believe and be baptised. Many of us today are going somewhere after this. We're going to a street party, a celebration. We're going to have meals with family and friends. I just encourage you now to take a moment and say, God, I will take you with me to that place. I will take you, Father. I will take your covenant into that place with me and I will be Christ in that place. Empower me, Lord, by your spirit to be Christ in the places that you send me. Thank you, guys.